Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Well, I'm not 100% certain who that last fellow was, but I think I might have had him for grade 8 math. That uh, glare is, is awfully familiar. Thank you, worship team, and good morning to uh, all of you. It's great to be here today on this Sunday. Uh, Pastor Doug and, Pastor, and, and Fran are away on a much-deserved vacation, and so uh, it's my opportunity to come and to... Uh, to end and complete the four-week preaching series that we've had going on for the month of August that I'm sure you've guessed by now as uh, called Fake News. And during that time, we've been looking at at issues and and, um, concepts that many of us believe to be biblical truths found in Scripture, but in reality, they're, they're false. They're spiritual fake news. Fake news is a term that we hear an awful lot these days, isn't it? especially from our neighbors to the south who are experiencing a news media credibility crisis. But it doesn't end there. We hear uh, of uh, foreign governments who are, uh, you know, are accused of sowing disinformation. We hear of online scams with Nigerian widows who somehow find our email addresses and and want to bless us with a gift of several million dollars from their late husband's estates. All we have to do is give them our banking information, and they'll be happy to deposit that for us. Um, but we also see uh, false, um, false uh, accusations. We see um, hoaxes, practical jokes. And all around us, we see false and fake news. Statements, stories, and events that are proclaimed and and presented as being truth, but which in reality are false. According to the CBC, in a recent poll that was done, where over 25,000 individuals were surveyed, which is a pretty healthy sample size, it was revealed that that 90% of Canadians say that at one point in time or another, they have fallen for what turned out to be fake news. Fake news comes in all shapes and all sizes. And despite the amount of airtime that it's been getting in recent years, fake news is nothing new. One of the most famous and colorful historical occurrences of fake news happened on October 30th, 1938. And on that evening, a 23-year-old Orson Welles uh, did a live on-air radio adaptation of H.G. Wells' science fiction classic, The War of the Worlds. And what he did is he took that, the content from that novel, and he, he turned it into a series of fake news bulletins that vividly described an, a Martian invasion of New Jersey. Now, the only thing that he forgot to do is tell his listeners that this was fake. 
And so these news bulletins went out all around the country, and there were thousands and thousands of people huddled around their radios, listening and, and thinking that they were here experiencing an alien invasion. And panicked phone calls started flowing in to police and other authorities right across the nation as, as they thought they were in the midst of this attack. And uh, there was a nationwide hysteria that came as a result. There's been even a movie made of that. April 1st is a day in which we've expected now to, uh, to experience a whole flood of fake news, uh, typically of the more playful and fun variety. And once again, April Fool's Day pranks are nothing new. Back on April 1st, 1957, the British Broadcasting Corporation did a, a whole news series, or a, a news presentation, a news broadcast, in which they claimed that the uh, Swiss farmers were experiencing a record spaghetti harvest. And uh, they had actual film footage of people picking and harvesting noodles off of trees. And at the end of that broadcast, the phones just lit up at the station as hundreds of people were phoning in asking where they can get their hands upon these spaghetti plants so that they could grow some themselves. April Fool's Day pranks. Fake news. And we as Christians aren't exempt in our realm either. And if we're not careful, we too can experience fake news. Where something portrays itself as being truth that comes from the Bible, but upon closer examination, we find out that it's actually false. That it's spiritual fake news. So what, where does this spiritual fake news originate? What are its sources? Now, speaking of sources, just before I go there, back to that poll that I was talking about, I found it interesting that more people, at 89%, said that they distrusted social media as the source of fake news, even more so than foreign governments or cyber criminals. They said social media was the big culprit. But where does spiritual fake news come from? Where does it originate? What are, what are its sources? Well, according to Scripture, the sources that oppose God's truth and distort his truth uh, fall into three main categories. The first of these we'll call the world. Now, Romans 12, verse 2 tells us that the world around us is at work trying to mold and shape or, or conform us into its pattern or image. The Greek word here that's translated to the English word conform speaks about taking a substance that is highly malleable, that is soft and pliable, that changes easily and often its shape. The person who's being conformed to this world is like a lump of Play-Doh in the hands of a little child. And that lump of Play-Doh is totally at the mercy of those little fingers onto what shape it's going to take next. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Now, when the Bible talks about the pressures of this world that is, are trying to conform us into its image, it's not talking about gravitational pulls or something in the atmosphere. This is referring to societal and cultural pressures, worldly philosophies and belief systems, humanistic values, 
pagan teachings, corrupt government systems, secular media influences. All the world's faith opposes God and his truth. And if we're not diligent, the world's fake news will bend and twist and fold and distort and conform us into something diametrically opposed to God. Paul tells us to resist these pressures. Rather than let the world conform us into its image, we're challenged to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, the Greek word that the, that the word transformed comes from is also the word that our English word metamorphosis comes from. And the classic example of metamorphosis is that incredible transformation that occurs when that pathetic, you know, grub that's, that's crawling around on the ground of a caterpillar transforms into this amazing butterfly that spreads its wings and, and, and soars off. Metamorphosis. The second uh, main source of spiritual fake news that we encounter uh, is referred to in the Bible as the flesh. Now, this isn't referring to our, our physical bodies. This is talking about the fallen and sinful human nature that resides in each one of us. That's in direct opposition to God and his truths. The Apostle Paul describes the conflict that's going on between our nature and God's nature very plainly in Galatians 5 verse 17, where he says, The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You see, our basic human nature wants what it wants. And what it wants most consistently is to look out for number one. Hardwired into all of us is, is a pull towards things like greed, envy, spite, jealousy, selfishness, pride, anger, and the list goes on. And as a result of these internal, this internal battle that's going on between our nature and God's, we at times can become our own source of spiritual fake news, where we, where we uh, promote and adopt interpretations of Scripture that are least disruptive, that are most accommodating to our natural tendencies and desires. Now, a third source of uh, spiritual fake news uh, comes directly from Satan himself. We see clearly in the Bible that the devil is the sworn enemy of God. And so it's no surprise that he would oppose God's truth and that he would be our enemies as well. Satan is described at, play, at points in, the, in Scripture as a roaring lion who's prowling around seeking those that he can devour. That's a vivid image, and, and it's true that at times Satan is blatant and, and in our face in his opposition. But there's other times that we find out uh, through this passage in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15, that uh, there's times where Satan takes a more of a wolf in sheep's clothing approach. It says here that he masquerades as an angel of light and that his servants masquerade as, as, as servants of righteousness. And it's in those situations when the devil tries to slip one by us where he takes and he slightly twists and distorts God's truth for the sole purpose of diminishing its power and effectiveness. 
So those are the three main sources of, of uh, spiritual fake news. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And they overlap and they influence one another. But uh, that's, those are the primary sources. So, so what's the antidote to spiritual fake news, generally speaking here now? Well, as typically the case when you're dealing with counterfeit, the tried and true approach is to become better acquainted with the real. If you don't want to be fooled by the fake, then get to know the genuine. And so in this context, that means getting to know our Bibles, getting to uh, become more literate and knowledgeable about Scripture, and to be practicing and putting those truths into, into, uh, into our daily lives. Jesus said in John 8, If you hold to my teachings, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's referring to that transformation that we saw in our Romans 12 passage. That renewing of our minds. Where God's truth, if it's, if it's, if it's grasped and understood and incorporated into our lives, will transform us. Just like the change that happens, that metamorphosis in that caterpillar crawling on its belly in the dirt and now soaring. So God's truth will transform us and set us free if we embrace it. So as we wrap up our series, that's just some, some general information about spiritual fake news. But this morning, for our fourth and our more specific item of a piece of fake news, we're going to look at the, the, um, the saying and the belief behind it that everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Now there is a sense at, a, at an elemental level that this is true. Simple cause and effect. If I were to take this table and just drop it off the stage here, uh, there's a reason for what would happen. It's called gravity. But typically, when people who embrace the philosophy of everything happens for a reason, when they're talking about that, they're not referring to simple cause and effect. They're talking about a belief in some sort of big cosmic design that orchestrates all of the events in a person's life. Everything happens for a reason. The belief that there's intentionality and purpose behind everything that one encounters. That everything is all part of some big redeeming plan. Everything happens for a reason. Now, if the person that is subscribing to that philosophy is religious, then typically they'll point at God as the one who is controlling things. But you don't have to be religious to play this game. Even atheists can play the everything happens for a reason game. They just point to the universe as the mastermind behind everything. I don't know if you've noticed, but the universe uh, is getting extremely popular these days. Everywhere you turn around, people are talking about the universe does this and the universe doing that. More and more people are placing their trust in the universe, stating that in some way the universe is, is looking out for them, that uh, it's directing and orchestrating the events in their lives behind the scenes. Here are just a few examples of that thinking that I grabbed from online. Breathe. The universe is taking care of everything else. Believe that you deserve it, and the universe will serve it. The universe has conspired forever in our favor. 
The universe is working a miracle for you right now. You know, I think it, I find it ironic that often the people who are placing their trust in the universe are often the same individuals who would laugh at the intellectual capacity of those who place their faith in the existence of God. I mean, really? The universe is looking out for us? The Milky Way has our back? Black holes help us meet goals? The Big Dipper is our skipper? Like, really? It's, that's crazy. It's just one more example in a long line of situations where we as humans would rather worship creation rather than the Creator. Now, as mentioned earlier, uh, those of us that have some sort of religious belief that also embrace the everything happens for a reason philosophy typically point to God as the one who's holding the conductor's baton, who's directing the symphony of events that they encounter in life. I mean, it just sounds right, doesn't it? We believe that God is sovereign. He's in control. He has a plan for our lives. Then everything happens for a reason. Just, just sounds right. Besides, we as humans like reasons. Often that's the first question in our, mind, or in our tongues or, or in our mind when something happens is, what's the reason behind this? Why did this happen to me? We like reasons. And so everything happens for a reason is a comforting thought to us. And as Christians, we point to God as the originator of life circumstances. Everything carefully scripted and placed purposely in our lives in order to accomplish his plan and his purpose. Well, I'm here to tell you that that's fake news. Now, we could come at this issue from, from different directions, but this morning I decided to just focus on two main issues that I think if we, if we clarify our understanding of them, it will really help us uh, with this, understand the, the big picture here. And the first issue uh, is to arrive at a proper understanding of Romans 8.28. Now, Romans 28 is uh, one of the most popular verses in the Bible, certainly one of the uh, passages of Scripture that's most often quoted to other people, especially in the context of everything happens for a reason. There are, are some Bible verses that are so well-known and so beloved that the King James Version of those verses has stayed in vogue when it comes time to, to quote them or put them on our walls much longer than the actual usage of the King James Version of the Bible has stayed popular. And I would say that uh, the King James Version of Romans 8.28 is certainly one of those. Let's just start by looking at that uh, up on the screen. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, uh, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So this is the version of this verse that many of us have learned and memorized. This is the version that many of us would quote to someone else that we would have on our walls, on our screens. And, and that's why I want us to start here. You know, the authors of, of, of various Bible translations, as, they, as they're working from translating the Bible from one language into another, they face countless thousands and thousands 
of decisions, interpretive decisions that they need to make as they do that. And one of the decisions that the authors uh, faced here with this, in this verse was what to make the main subject of Romans 8.28. And in this situation, they chose to go with all things. They made all things the main subject. And so it's all things working together for good. All things at work accomplishing good. Now compare this translation with the one uh, of Romans 8.28 found in the NIV and and similarly in, in many other translations that says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And in these versions, in these translations, uh, and I think rightfully so, God has been made the main subject of the sentence. And so it's God who's at work in the midst of all things, bringing good to those who love him. Now you may think that really does that little small difference really make much of a difference? And I say it does. Uh, Listen to this statement from a biblical commentary on that subject speaking specifically about the difference in the two translations. Is this of academic interest only, or does it, actually, or does it make a difference? I believe that it makes a difference that while subtle is quite important. We often quote this verse to encourage people who are suffering, and when we tell them that all things work together for good, we fail to make it clear that it is God who has the power to bring good out of bad, who transforms Good Fridays into Easter Sundays, When we say all things work together for good, it sounds as if we believe all things to be good. That we are counting as insignificant the circumstances that have caused their pain. Therefore, all things work together for good comes across as a platitude. As if we're saying, don't don't worry about it, or don't sweat it. It's going to work. It's going to be okay. We should not be surprised if the sufferer dismisses such counsel as drivel and dismisses us as spiritual caregivers as well. You see, all things do not work together for our good. If that was true, then everything would happen for a reason. If that was true, then all things, no matter how prickly and unpleasant they were on the surface, would inherently be beneficial for us at their core, because they're working for our good. But that's fake news. Try telling that to the parents whose child was kidnapped and murdered. That there was something beneficial about that experience at its core. Try telling that to the husband whose wife was killed by a drunk driver. Try telling that to a woman who was beaten and raped. Life, the reality is is that many things that we encounter in this life are terrible. They're horrendous. They're evil. They're not working towards our good. They're working towards robbing us of good. They're working towards robbing us of peace, robbing us of innocence, robbing us of joy, robbing us of life itself, both in this present age and in the age to come. Many things that we encounter in this life are rotten and vile and horrific right down to the core. But God, with his unfailing love for us, 
with his mercy and grace in which he's rich, with his unlimited creativity and resources, has both the inclination and the astonishing ability to bring good out of evil, to bring growth out of devastation, to bring joy out of sorrow, to bring hope out of hopelessness, to bring beauty out of ashes. As he works for our good, in the midst of the mess, in the middle of the storm, everything doesn't happen for a reason. But in everything, no matter how senseless, God is working to redeem. Charles Swindoll, in his book, The Quest for Character, tells of a, an old mansion, uh, or castle, I should say, located in Scotland. And in one of the rooms in that castle, uh, the, all the walls in that room are covered with uh, drawings and, and sketches from a variety of famous artists. And apparently the practice began uh, when a, a server accidentally spilled some liquid upon a freshly decorated wall and it left a permanent and an unsightly stain. And at the time of the accident, uh, renowned artist Sir Edwin Landseer was residing in the castle as a guest. He was visiting. And one day when the family was out, uh, he went and he took his materials and he turned that stain into, he merged it into an outline for a beautiful waterfall scene. And at the touch of the master's hand, what was damaged and repulsive was transformed into something of beauty and of worth. And that's a great picture of God's incredible ability to bring good out of bad circumstances. That incredible truth that we see in Romans 8.28. That in all of life's circumstances, no, bad, no matter how bad they are in and of themselves, God is by our side working for our good to redeem, to rebuild, and to restore. Now a second important issue this morning is to arrive at a proper understanding of God's allowance versus God's will. Is there a difference between what God allows to happen versus what he plans or wills to occur. Are those the same things? You know, we make that leap as Christians all the time, where we tie together tightly what God allows with what God wills. Listen to uh, how that's expressed in some of these various quotes that I've found. And some of these will found, sound familiar, and some of these uh, probably some of us have said them ourselves. God has placed you where you are in this very moment for a reason. God has a reason for allowing things to happen. We may never understand his wisdom, but we simply have to trust his will. Everything happens for a reason. Because if God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. Everything happens for a reason. Nothing occurs by chance. It's a part of God's divine plan. Learn to trust where he leads you. Now, those just sound good and sound right, don't they? 
But do you see it? How we often make this leap of logic in assuming that what God, because God allowed something to happen, that it automatically was his will or his desire or his plan for that to happen. We tie those together. And that would, if you believe that, then that does give divine reason for everything that you encounter in life. If that's true, then everything is happening for a reason. Because God is orchestrating it, putting it in place. But is that true? If God allows it, does he necessarily have to own it? And if it's not true, then why would a God who's all-powerful and loving allow bad things to happen that are not in line with his will or that even contravene his will when he's obviously uh, has the power to prevent it? You know, why God allows bad things to happen has troubled humanity for forever. It's actually, if you uh, listen to atheists or read, read anything that they're writing, often this is one of the main issues that they would claim would keep them from believing in the existence of a personal and a loving God. They would say, well, if God is all-powerful and if God is loving, then how could he allow blank to happen? And you can fill in those blanks with any number of terrible and tragic things that happen to people on an ongoing basis. You know, on occasion, I enjoy some good science fiction. And one of the more popular plot lines in that genre is some type of scenario where you find that war, hunger, poverty, suffering, hard labor, possibly even death itself, is all but been eliminated from this world. And the people are now living in this carefree, near-utopian environment. But as the story unfolds, it slowly becomes apparent that freedom is just an illusion in this world. And you start to discover that behind the idyllic settings and the passive contentment, the exercise of free will is non-existent. Often you'll find that there's a, a puppet master who's pulling all the strings. Maybe you find out that the world in which they're living is, is simply a virtual world. They're just all part of some big software program that's running and, uh, and their whole existence is, is scripted and artificial. Maybe you find out that the people are being drugged without their knowledge in order to keep them docile and complacent. There's a, there's a whole ver a variety of, of scenarios there. But the one thing that they all have in common is that when the main protagonists of the story discover that what's happening, they always choose to rebel and break free from this controlling system. Even sometimes, even often, although that means the loss of some of these benefits that they've been enjoying in this artificial environment. And the puppet masters themselves in these, in these stories, the ones that are pulling the string, everybody's strings, are always portrayed as villains. Regardless of how ideal on the surface the lives of the people they're controlling appear to be. And the message and the values and the beliefs behind it is always the same. 
the ability and the freedom to exercise free will always trumps an imposed artificial bliss. So when I see those movies and I read those books, I think to myself, well, we do get it. We do understand why God allows bad things to happen. Because God loves us so much that he refuses to remove our free will. This truth was revealed right back in, at the beginning, right at creation. I just want to look at a couple of verses from Genesis. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now what an incredible truth in this, in this one verse. In all of creation, humans are special. God elevated humanity and set us apart. And he put his stamp on that. Created in his own image. Now that doesn't mean that God, you know, gave us his eyes or, you know, his chin or maybe his, his high cheekbones. Talk, we're not talking about physical image here. God is spirit. This is talking about attributes and characteristics the ability to reason, to experience emotions, to create, to laugh, to imagine, to feel empathy, and to choose. Being created in the image of God allows nothing less than the absolute freedom to exercise free will. Then turn the page uh, to Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9. And it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to them, to the man, Where are you? Now I'll mention in, a, in just a sec a little bit more about why they were hiding at this point in time. But I think the setting of this verse reveals to us why God made humans special and unique. You see, we were created by God to experience an intimate relationship, a true friendship with God. Here we see God down among humanity, desiring conversation and fellowship with them, seeking them out. We were chosen by God and set apart to experience an intimate, loving relationship with him. But to really love, one has to, be, has to have the ability, the freedom to choose to love. When my daughters were little, one of them had a doll that when you pushed a little button in its stomach somewhere, it would say, I'm not going to try to go that high. It would say, I love you, mommy, but in a much higher, more annoying tone. Because they would push it and push it and push it. And no matter how much toddler abuse was, was heaped upon this child by, by my little daughters, no matter how many times it was tossed or thrown, dragged, stepped on, uh, discarded, no matter how many times that little plastic baby bottle that comes with it, no matter how many times that was accidentally jammed into its eyes or its ears or its nose, every time you push that button, it would say, I love you. But nobody older 
and wiser than a two-year-old would ever mistake that for true love. You see, there was no element of personal choice in that declaration of love. Those were not the doll's own words. Those were programmed into her. Those weren't her emotions. Those came at the factory. Those weren't even, it wasn't even the doll's decision to, to voice those words. Uh, she was completely at the mercy of the one pushing the button. And that's what our relationship with God would have looked like if he would have created us without free will. If he just made us do what he wanted, what his plan was, what his purpose was, by pushing our buttons. Then everything would be happening for a reason. But God loved us enough to give us the ability to choose. Now, of course, there's a downside in having free will. That that freedom to choose uh, means that we and others around us not only have the ability to choose what's good, but also to, the, to choose what's bad. This account in Genesis 3 occurs right after Adam and Eve had used their free will to disobey and rebel against God, their creator. And now here, for the first time ever, they're experiencing guilt and shame and humiliation, absolutely none of which was God's will. And so they're hiding from God. And when they did that, sin entered the world. And sin does what sin, sin did there, what sin does. It took and twisted and distorted and defiled God's plan. God's original plan for humanity was last seen at creation. Living in paradise, in close proximity and in intimate relationship with him. But ever since that time, the exercise of our free will and the resulting sin has been interfering with God's plan. Bad decisions, actions, consequences, none of which were God's will, resulting in our separation and our alienation from the one who loves us and created us for an intimate friendship. Everything happens for a reason is fake news. As Pastor Adam Hamilton says, if everything happens for a reason, then every act of evil is ultimately God's doing. Everything doesn't happen for a reason, at least any reason or plan that God is any part of. But the real news, the good news, the, the exceedingly great news, is that ever since that time, God has been doing an incredible work of restoration at work in all things for our good. And that work culminated in, the, in Jesus' amazing sacrifice for us on the cross. Where Jesus paid the debt for our sins. And at unfathomable personal cost, God created a way for us as humans to be restored into this intimate relationship with him that we were created for in the first place. But God has never compromised his commitment to our free will. And so even though this provision is the most incredible news that we could ever hear, uh, God doesn't force it upon us. God says in Revelation 3, verse 20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You see, free will is still involved here. Salvation is offered to everyone as a free gift. But there's a choice that needs to be made. We need to choose to accept that gift. And of course, because God isn't just pushing our buttons, we also have the ability to reject that gift. Think long and hard about that if you've never made that decision. This is the single most important decision that any one of us will ever face in our lives. Because quite literally, entire, the entire eternity hangs in the balance. See, not everything happens for a reason. That's fake news. But in all things, our amazing God is at work for the good of those that love him. Amen. Amen.